the 911 Calls Podcast with the operator and his senior assistant, Jack Luna. Okay, is he awake? Uh, his eyes are open. His eyes are open. He's not responding. Okay, but is he breathing? I, I have no idea. I cannot tell you that. Oh, hello, Luna. Hey, operator. Good to see you. How are you? Oh, oh, okay. How you doing? I'm doing all right. I'm doing all right. Uh, I've actually, I've been fatigued the last couple days, like a a weird fatigue. mm -hmm. Like, I don't think it's a COVID fatigue. I'm I'm on the tail end of of illness, so I shouldn't feel this fatigue. Like, I should be feeling better. Right. I got the same. I got the same thing. I got sick three times last month. And, it's weird, uh, huh? It, it was. It was. It just kept coming and going. No coming COVID. Going. I don't have COVID. It, it, it just. It just uh, came in and out. I, I felt the same way. Maybe it's from wearing a mask for like two years straight, and then kind of taking it off and just getting a cold for the first time in a while, and just kind of kept on hanging with me. Yeah. I don't know what it is, man. Well, I. I. I wonder. When it comes to that, if like, I mean, the way our bodies work, right, is we breathe air all day long and little by little, our body's creating, um, you know, defenses. Mm-hmm. That's that's the whole point of white blood cells, <laughs> I believe, is to, you know, build up defenses against little things. Otherwise, we die like in 10 minutes because we'd inhale some piece of dust that had something in it and we're mm-hmm. dead. Mm-hmm. But we, we do we do tend to be pretty hardy animals. Um, but I, I wonder, like when you put a mask on, when you, when you prevent someone from, oh no, no. When you sanitize the way someone lives for so long, does it, does it actually maybe treat more illness? I'm feeling like it. It certainly feels like it. I've never been this sick for this long. I wonder if mine might be, my wife said, well, it's one of two things. You either have seasonal depressive disorder. Or it's cancer. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, ah. So I got a daylight lamp that I haven't put up yet, but I I should because I'm just in my studio diaper box here. (laughs) And I I should put it up because, yeah, it's been a weird feeling. Like I've just been. Yeah, I wonder if more people feel like that because I only talk to you and like my family, like my immediate. You and Kent and my family. And you seem to be. We've both have eleven and a half size shoes too. We just yeah. found out on the on just the found that out. pre-talk. Eleven and a half size shoes, but we feel like we should be a twelve, so we deceive ourselves into buying too big of shoes every once in a while. You know what I wonder? What? I wonder if you really went down to like millimeters and stuff if both of our shoe sizes are eleven point five nine. Whoa. Oh, cause get it? Cause of the name of our company. Wow. That would be crazy. I bet you. Actually. Hey, do you have one foot that's bigger than another? Yes. No, I have one leg that's longer than the other. Really? Do you, do okay, you have so, one foot that's bigger than the other? Well, I think my right foot is just a little bit longer, just a tiny bit because I wear out the toe on that shoe right. faster than the other. Right. You know? But it also could be the way that I walk. I kind of galump drag. Yeah. Quasimodo. My- <laughs> My dead leg. <laughs> yeah. What is one size side of your penis larger than the other? No, they're both super short. <laughs> both penises? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> both sides of it are short. Yeah. Yeah. I know. Everything's so yeah. stubby on my end, too. Yeah. Anyway, speaking of penises, yeah. do you know how to play any instruments? Besides the skin flute? <laughs> uh, no. I I. No, I don't. I don't. No. You got all the way through uh, elementary, junior high. Oh, yeah. Well, the trumpet. They had me playing the trumpet, but I would just pretend. And then when they had me do my solo, I'd fail. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Wow. You play a lot, though. I I play some instruments. Um, If you could... If you could learn to play any instrument, what would it be? I tried to learn the guitar, you know. uh, Uh I can play a little bit of that, I guess. Um, but if I could learn, I th- honestly, man, the piano. Oh, it's a good one. You it's play it. One. You play it. I would love that. 
Like, like just to see a piano, like at a bar or something like that. And they're like, yeah, look at that old piano. Me go up and friggin' start being Elton John up there. That'd be great. Yeah. I, um, I have, I'm sort of a mass, what is it? Uh, jack of all trades, master of none. Right. When it comes to instruments, I can play a lot, but I, 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 um, and I sound much better than I actually am because I play by ear. I don't. Like I'm, I'm not very good at reading music. I can do it, but I'm not very good at it. Can I, um, can I please, can I please request that you play something real fast right now, just to show them how much you're freaking lying piano. to them right now? Just anything. Right, one sec. One second. I'm sorry. Yeah, he's got a bunch of junk back there. You got to hear this. He's acting like he can kind of play, but he's one of those guys who was forced to play a bunch of stuff, but he actually had talent, so he. He still dabbles once in a while. He has a freaking piano in his diaper box. Well, I have. Well, I have to though because it's what I use for. Well, yeah, for production, for I, I do know. a lot with. That's you know what though? Interestingly, I use it a lot less because, like, we went all the way from like DT when I was when yeah. I was uh, producing Dark Topic. I did some music and effects and stuff like Crime that. Machine. And we went to Crime Machine, which was a full blown cinematic yep. thing. Like the pia- like I was wearing the piano out because I use it as a synthesizer, mm-hmm. as effects generator, and everything. Search and Crime was, Machine; it's available wherever you listen yeah. to podcasts, and we put it out there. Our special nine part, ten part series. <laughs> Crime Machine. <laughs> um, and then, uh, and then, I've got we we came all the way to nine one one, and I don't really don't really use it as much. Now I'm, I'm getting my instrument all prepared. Yeah, no, I'm sorry to put you on the spot, but you brought it up. I just, I just want people to hear <laughs> on the public feed if they haven't heard it before. I'm not sure where you've played before. I think it's normally on Patreon. All right, let's see here. Can you hear that? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. mm-hmm. <laughs> I'll just do it on the piano. It's fine. I'll do it on the piano. Okay. How's that? (laughs) Pretty good, man, even though you're screwing around. The way he was (laughs) slamming his hands down there, you'd think he was just messing around, but it's actually coming out right. Yeah, that's what I'm talking Uh, about. I have a tendency to sound much better than I am, but um, yeah. but it is uh, to your point. Yeah. Uh, it it is nice to know how to play an instrument because um, it's a means for communication. It it opens up opportunities to be creative. Uh, it does something to and, a room too. Like you're at a party and everybody's kind of standing around, and then somebody hops on there. They give gives them all a focal point. Where they're all yeah. like, kind of like around, and it makes everybody feel something. It's like, oh my god, look at this human being doing something I can't do, and I'm feeling something from it. The piano really does that because there's a lot going on there, man. Like right there, even though you're joking around, yeah, I was really bopping. I was, that was a bop. <laughs> well, it's it's fun. It's fun that okay. Imagine if like you were just walking down the street and somebody's like, "Hey, what are you?" And you're like, "I'm a painter. See, here's my painting." <laughs> They're painting uh, yeah, the nearest yeah, convenience right there, store. They just paint a house on the side of a house, and when you have an when you play an instrument, it's a it's a very portable way of showing people art, you mm-hmm. know. And that's it's kind of interesting. Yeah, it is um, to be able to just kind of pull it out of your pocket and be like. <laughs> Some instruments easier than others. If you're a tuba player, not so easy to just be like, well, I guess I do have my tuba right here. <laughs> Pull off your back. <laughs> if you insist. <laughs> All the ladies' pants fall off immediately. <laughs> Here's a little tuba piece by Brahms. <laughs> I guess. Oh, man. Right. No, but you're right. It is. There are definitely party trick elements to some instruments guitars and piano and whatnot yeah so all right well for this call you'll have the right to remain silent during the call anything you choose to say during may be used against you in the final edit of this episode (sighs) this one's a total twisty turn so i didn't want to really give it any backstory up the front uh and so we're just going to jump right into the call, yeah. and then we'll have a whole lot to talk about. Okay, hopefully. Oh, we will. Here we go. 
911, what is your emergency? Hey, we are on, uh, we, the, we are at the, uh, what's this shit, uh, the hotel, uh, the Rosin Plaza, uh, on our drive, and one of our, uh, drum majors can't breathe, and he's throwing up. Okay, go ahead and stay on the phone, I'm going to put you on the paramedics, all right? Are we... You said you're at the Rosen Plaza on International Drive, correct? Yeah, yeah, we're on the bus. Okay, stay on the on phone the for me. Hang on one second. I'm going to put you on with paramedics. Do not on the bus. Up. He's pulling up. Okay, do not hang up. All right.
Let me know when he's flat on his back. I'm trying. Right. Hold on, I have to put the phone down real quick. Hold on. Okay, that's fine. Just hey. take it back up. What? Here, I gotta try to get him all his back flat. Water or what? Hey, who on the phone? Are you talking to me or are you talking to somebody else? Hello? Hi, is he putting him on his back? Excuse me? I got him on his back. on his back? Yeah, we, we're trying to get him uh, on his back now. Robert. Yo, first, pull him, pull him, ready? Ready? Yeah. Cool. All right, cool. All right, he's flat. He's flat on his back. Okay, then I want you to kneel next to him, and I want you to look in his mouth for food or vomit. Yes, it's vomit. There is vomit in his mouth? Yes. Okay, well, then I want you to turn his head to the side, and I want you to clean out his mouth and his mouth. Oh, what? What? On the phone? Yeah, we are. I've got a deputy in route as well. Okay, thanks. I think we're pulling up to it. Yep. I'm try to call him back, though. All right, thank you. All right, thanks. Bye. Okay. So, hey, I got drum a, major. I, I, yeah, I got a question for you. Yeah. How long into that call did it take for an operator to give them actual direction as to what they should do with this person who's in distress? Like five and a half minutes, and then they confirmed that he was flat on his back finally six minutes into it. Man. With vomit still in his mouth. Just felt like right? it took forever to get some actual information to the, to that guy. Yeah. Okay. To kick off this backstory, we're going to the very far prostate end of the story and describe the final autopsy that was performed on the heretofore named Robert Champion the drum major for whom the 911 bell was told. <laughs> See what I did oh, okay, there? Okay, gotcha. Yeah. That's okay, a great good. name. Thanks. I mean, um, like his, you, you, you didn't, are you his dad? <laughs> <laughs> okay. <clears throat> get serious. We're, this is going to get serious. Ready? Yeah. All right. A final autopsy report revealed that uh, Florida A&M University drum major Robert D. Champion suffered muscle damage commonly seen in such events as major car or bus accidents, prolonged seizures, child abuse, and torture. (laughs) The kind of damage that Robert's muscles encountered is called rhabdomyolysis. In essence, the tissue of the muscles of Robert's back and shoulders were impacted so intensely that they released parts of the destroyed muscle into the bloodstream. The destroyed muscles leaked out a protein called myoglobin in such an amount that it's too much for the kidneys to process. It causes the kidneys to fail, and this leads to death. Are you telling me this guy's banging on the drums so hardcore that his muscles started to fall apart? Well, I was going to ask you, so in your professional opinion, what do you think has brought on these symptoms that would leave a very healthy individual in such a state as to cause death so rapidly? Uh, I don't know. Because he's a drummer, I, all I can think is that he's just banging away like bananas, and then he gets onto the bus, and then he suffers this because of the exertion. Yeah, banging on his drums. So that that uh, that's a that's that a good, hypoth- good hypothesis. There. Okay, here <laughs> here's how it here's how it went down. <laughs> Florida A and M was in Orlando, Florida, on November nineteenth, twenty eleven, for the last game of the football season, which is an American game of touch, passing, and tackling, where each team tries to best the other team in feats of jiggering an oblong ball down a field covered in grass or a synthetic grass substitute. Okay. Okay. Yeah. That's football. Mm -hmm. Florida A&M lost the game against Bethune-Cookman College, 26 points to 16 points. 
it's recorded that Florida A&M had three turnovers during the game, oh which is God. way too many to eat during a game of physical activity. At best, one turnover <sighs> should be eaten per game. Scientists indicate that three turnovers would cause a case of icky stomach when followed by over five trimesters of strenuous sports playing. Can I tell that's funny stuff. Can I, can I tell you, like, <laughs> I remember hearing a sports announcer say, this guy's thrown, thrown so many turnovers, he should open a bakery. <laughs> this guy's created so many turnovers, he should open a bakery. Yeah. And a guy died here, though, right? I don't know. I don't know what a turnover is, mm, so okay. just imagine that's why they lost. Just full stomachs. Right. Bread. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, suffice it to say, the Florida-famed A&M band team known throughout the kingdom as the Marching 100 Band, was saddened by this loss, knowing that if they had just played one more rousing John Philip Sousa song, the team might have been energized enough to win the sports games. They knew it was going to be a somber three-hour and 54-minute ride back to campus, but before the bus could leave the parking lot of the hotel, Robert Champion had plans on winning his own awards for the night. Okay. Okay. Second gear. <sighs> For the past year or so, Robert Champion had been asking to cross over, which in band nerd parlance means to be fully initiated hmm. and put you in a position to hold leadership positions in the band. But Jonathan Boyce, the head band member, had been reluctant about letting him cross over. Robert would need Boyce's permission as dictated by the band's internal code of hierarchy. But after this game, Boyce asked Robert if he still wanted to cross over, and this is how Boyce said the conversation went. I was like, do you still want to do it? So he was like, yes. And so I was like, fine. (laughs) All right. In addition to the crossing over ritual, members who wanted to be initiated would be subjected to frequent quote-unquote hot seats, where a lesser member of the band would be tapped on the shoulder by a senior member of the band and told to go to the back of the bus. There, they would be covered by a blanket and beaten with fists, drum mallets, sticks, and feet. The abuse was strategic, though, and was focused on areas of the body that wouldn't show up outside of clothing, like the face. Okay, so according to band members, the bus driver and band director weren't always on the bus during the hot seat sessions, but sometimes they were up front watching movies or doing other things that would distract them from the activities that were occurring in the back. The crossing over (laughs) sessions were always done when the bus wasn't occupied by the bus driver or the band director, though. Just to cover them, just to cover them. Right. That night, Boyce said he was in a friend's room at the hotel when he got a call that Robert Champion was going to do it. So he rushed to the bus to, in his words, try to save him. Meanwhile, Champion had already begun the hazing ritual. He was shirtless, as dictated by the band's rules. Women wear only sports bras as they cross over. And he was the third band member to try to make his way from the front of the bus to the back of the bus that night. Ryan Dean, another band member, told detectives that he yelled into Champion's ear, come on, push through, as fists, feet, sticks, and mallets rained down on him. Keon Hollis went with Champion to the bus for the crossing over. He told police that he took a shot of alcohol before heading for the bus. He said, it was really dark on the bus. I couldn't really make out faces, but I know it was a lot of people. Uh, When asked to explain the process, Hollis said, basically, you get on the bus and you have to take your shirt off and you basically have to make it from the front of the bus to the back of the bus. Hollis told the detective that the goal is to just get through it as quick as you can. He said they was using hands, straps. I think I saw a comb, which turned turned out... which turned out during the, investi- the investigation to have been a large plastic orange comb. I can't imagine how big this comb must have been yeah. to actually make it into the memory of somebody that's getting beaten so severely. Sure. Okay, at the end of the ordeal, Hollis walked back to the front of the bus through applause and hooting and hollering from his bandmates. When he got outside the bus, he threw up. Oh. While Hollis tried to compose himself, Robert Champion 
started down the aisle. He battled through the storm of fists and feet with a female band member holding him back to prolong the punishment. At its most severe, Champion collapsed into a seat, prompting a band member to brace himself on seat backs and jump up and down on the drum major for an estimated 15 seconds. Champion was greeted with a flurry of seven to ten punches when he pushed himself free and resumed his death march down the bus aisle. At least one band member jumped from seat to seat to get to the back of the bus to get another chance at attacking Robert. Jonathan Boyce said by the time he got there, Robert was maybe like a foot or two away from the back of the bus. Boyce said, so I climb over the seats all the way to the back. When he reached champion, Boyce said he grabbed him to, quote, try to keep everybody off him and, quote, put my body around his body to try to stop the beating. So this guy's a real hero. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Moments later, Champion touched the wall, indicating that he had made it to the back. And then it was over, Boyce said. Robert Champion asked for water, and they gave him Gatorade, which is a water substitute developed back in 1965 Uh. by the University of Florida Gators sports nutritionists. This bottle of Gatorade was new, though, not from the original batch developed in 1965. (laughs) Okay, man. (laughs) I didn't know that, though. I don't want to talk about that right now, considering what's going on, but that's interesting. Yeah, Gatorade is developed by the sports nutritionist at at, uh, Florida, University of Florida, Gators. That's why it's called Gatorade. Crazy, huh? Yeah. It was also purchased um, several years later by the Quaker Oats Company before being purchased by Pepsi. All right. Uh, Why Quaker Oats bought it, that's a weird pairing. I don't know, Gator, Gatorade and oatmeal. Anyway, I digress. <laughs> Please do. Oh, gosh. Robert asked for water, so they gave him Gatorade. Robert complained that he was having trouble breathing and that he couldn't see, though his eyes were wide open. Ugh. Band members got him to the steps of the bus, but he continued to say that he couldn't breathe. Another band member, Daryl Sarnell, told detectives, I checked him. He wasn't saying anything. He wasn't responsive or anything. They was calling his name, and he wasn't saying anything, and I checked his pulse. They laid Robert on the ground, and someone called 911 while Sarnell did CPR, which we know, based on the call, was six minutes mm-hmm. <laughs> after the call started. Uh, Sarnell said, I don't even remember, like, if he came back. He said, I started doing CPR again, mouth-to-mouth, started doing chest compresses. He said Champion vomited and Cernel took off his shirt to wipe his mouth clean. Moments later, an ambulance arrived and he died on the way to the hospital. Oh, man. Who was the coach of this team? John Edward? <laughs> you know, crossing over with John Edwards. Yeah, yeah, yeah good one. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> Funny stuff, as you said. <laughs> uh, um. <laughs> It's it's so interesting to me that this long of a 911 call could be had. Yeah. And so much of the actual details of what happened have been omitted from that call. Like, oh, yeah. Like, yeah. Like, like he, just, amazing. he just got, you know, jumped by a gang of Yeah, people. he was, the guy on the call was like, we were sitting there talking, and then all of a sudden he wasn't doing anything. <laughs> Yeah, it's like what? It sounded also on the call like he was probably heavy. It sounded like like he couldn't get him over right. Like he was having trouble. So like this, I don't know if you have a picture of him or anything like that. He's he was a you know standard sized okay. human. Yeah, standard. Yeah. I'd say. I guess right, so I mean here, taking a beating like that, you always run the risk of dying, no matter how big you are. Yeah, you know, and to think that. uh in that night, three people had gone through this, but how many before? You know, how how many? And and it just... You, you know, it, sorry, if, if you're like one of the later guys to go through this gauntlet, maybe they were feeling like it was too easy for the other ones. They'd all gotten through. It's like, we're going to really make it, you know, difficult for this one. Good point. Good point. Yeah, like um, everybody seems to be passing through, so... It's too easy. Let's... Yeah. And on a bus full of people, 
like a whole bus full of people to think that there's not a cross section of people on that bus that may have, I don't know, innate rage issues. <laughs> oh, for sure. And, <laughs> and, and a mob mentality takes hold in, in these situations yes. too, right? You just yes. try to top each other. How the guy jumping on his chest for 15 seconds, launching onto it, his chest is concerning. That might have done yeah. it. Yeah. Right. Okay. So really interesting. They found that the majority of the damage to his body was shoulders and back. Mm -hmm. So it makes me think that he fell like down they were face jumping on first him. and then he was stomping on him on the back of him. <sighs> um, the, the, the coroner said that any, any bit of this impact, if it had happened to his abdomen, he would have bled out. Right. Um, that's how severe the impact was. But that, that, that the kind of impact that we're seeing here was attributed to the same type of thing you'd see in somebody who was tortured. Right. You know? Which he was. Yeah, basically. I mean, you can call it what you want, but that's torture. Yeah. Yeah. All right, here's, here's a bit of an interesting timeline that I dug up that reveals the, uh, the environment that was already brewing when this death took place. I think it goes to show that the issue of hazing was prevalent be well before Robert Champion's death. But uh, before we go to the list, guess what we have to do first? Ads. Ah, shoot. <laughs> I wrote that wrong. I was supposed to wait until you guessed and then say ads. Right. So here we are. some ads. Okay, we're back really quick. Before we get to the timeline, guess who was involved in one of the first hazing deaths ever recorded? John Edwards. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> uh, Abraham Lincoln. No, Ben Franklin. Ooh. 1737, the victim was Daniel Reese. It was at a Masonic temple in Philadelphia. And they say that during a mock initiation, flaming liquid was thrown on him by Masons led by Evan Jones. He died within days and Jones was found guilty for manslaughter and branded. Ben Franklin, a member of the group, appeared as a witness for the prosecution. So he snitched. So Ben Franklin was a member of this Masonic Lodge, Masonic Order. Huh. And I don't know how, like, that's not even hazing to me. That's like, how do you, how do you survive flaming liquid? <laughs> yeah, that's like getting rid of a member that you don't want. Yeah, <laughs> thinning the herd is what I call that. That's not. <laughs> when that's when not. I was a kid, I was in a gang. <laughs> it was called the United <laughs> Nations. <laughs> Wow. And the way you would get hazed in. Very Canadian of you. <laughs> yeah. Uh, was that you knew you were going to get jumped. So it's like, hey, do you want to be in this gang? Yes. Okay. Here's, uh, it was like a huge marble. We called them Kongs uh, marble. Uh -huh. And you'd wrap it in a in a handkerchief and then you'd tie it off with an elastic and you had to carry that in your back pocket and, you know, break windows and beat people up with it whenever you're supposed to. But the way you would get into the gang was that, for the next week, at any given time, you're going to be jumped. That could <laughs> wow. happen while you're hanging out, or it could happen while you're on your way home, or it could happen at school, or it could happen while you're sleeping at night, and you would just get jumped. I got jumped at night in a park, and somebody shoved a gun in my mouth. Oh, wow. Yeah, it was a BB gun. A BB, oh, I didn't know it was. So they're like, open your mouth, open your mouth. I'm like, okay, oh, this is the jump. Oh, you guys are jumping me. Mm -hmm. uh, Shoved it right back. I was choking on it, uh, kicking me in the nuts, kicking me in the back. And then wow. John Edwards showed up and said, "You have <laughs> crossed. You read your future." I thought I was a shadow man. Well, maybe was I'm, the maybe moth I'm, man there I might be too. dead right now. Hmm? <laughs> was the moth man there? <laughs> oh uh, man, so many things we talk about on the uncut right. that. Uh, oh yeah, right. Seem to have come up like a. Like uh, incontinence. <laughs> yeah. Uh, all right. Wow. So did did you make it into the gang? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I did. I got Good. beat up. And then we got disbanded shortly thereafter. A couple of guys got arrested. And it just wasn't in suburbia. You can't really be walking around with bandanas smashing windows for too long before people say stop it. You know? Yeah. You know what else should be disbanded? What? 
the actual United Nations. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, but I digress. <laughs> they called it United Nations because like one guy was from Pakistan, one guy was like from Iran, and the rest wow. of us were white guys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. This is a total melting pot right there. Yeah. So eclectic. One Russian. Yeah. <laughs> One Russian. <laughs> oh, man. Okay. Here is the timeline yep. that was happening around the time that Robert Champion was uh, killed during this hazing. August 22nd of 2011, the full band attends a hazing regulations workshop, which doesn't it isn't what it sounds it kind of sounds like they were giving you the rules for hazing it was actually a a workshop on how terribly illegal and against school policy and everything hazing was supposed to be uh september 1st 2011 shantivia conley and four other clarinetists meet for their first initiation into the clones uh where they are punched slapped and paddled Conley quits after suffering bruising on her buttocks. The other returned two or three more times to be hazed into the subgroup of the clones. Fast forward another month, uh, two months, October 31st through November 1st, 2011. Bria Shante Hunter tries to skip an initiation meeting into the Red Dog Order. That's D-A-W-G, <laughs> Red Dog Order, but is forced to attend with about 11 other pledges. Hunter is ordered to lift her legs as if she is about to march and is struck more than 20 times on her legs with fists by two male members. The next day, Hunter is beaten because she and other pledges were unable to properly recite information about the Red Dogs. Hunter is forced to march in place again while one of her hazers beat her across the top of her thighs with a metal ruler. November 7th, 2011, Hunter is transported to a hospital where doctors determined she was suffering from blood clots in her legs, deep bone bruising, and a cracked femur. November 8th and November 10th, band director Julian White issues letters to about 30 students. This tells you how big this band is. 30 students informing them that they have been suspended from the marching band while university officials investigate allegations of hazing within the clarinet and trombone sections. So this is a sea of people that make up this band. If you can let 30 people go temporarily and still have a band. Mm -hmm. So November 19th, Robert Champion dies after being hazed on a bus after the Florida Classic football game in Orlando, his death is ruled a homicide. December 8th, trustees at Florida A&M University publicly reprimand President James Ammons, saying he's done a poor job keeping them informed and consulting them on issues related to the death of student Robert Champion. December 12th, Three Florida A&M students are arrested on charges of hazing freshman Bria Hunter, James Harris, age 22, Aaron Golson, age 19, and Sean Hobson, age 23, are charged with hazing. Hobson and Golson are also charged with felony battery. December 15th, Governor Rick Scott, so now the governor's involved, calls for the university president's suspension until authorities complete their investigations into the allegations of hazing and financial irregularities at Florida A&M. The school's board of trustees rebuff the governor, though, with Chairman Solomon Badger, sounds like a guy off Winnie the Pooh, Chairman Solomon Badger saying, we will stand firm against outside influence regardless of how well intended. That tells you what an island schools are, that the governor can throw down what he thinks should happen and the school's like, nah. (laughs) Okay, January 19th, 2012. So we've moved into a new year. Four Florida A&M students are charged with hazing five members of the marching band who tried to join the clones, a group of clarinet players. Hakeem Birch, Denise Bailey, Anthony Mingo, and Brandon Benson were booked into the Leon County Jail and released later that night. What blows my mind? This thing keeps going. 
it goes January 2nd, January 24th, January 31st, July 2012 is where we land at the last thing. So the death of Robert Champion did nothing to stop or slow down the oh, hazing process. Wow. The school was literally in, in a, in a, in melting down internally. The president of the school was like on his lips and hazing continued like, like nobody cared. Hey man, red dogs forever or whatever they were called. <laughs> we, we don't stop. We don't stop. That's wow. Send Rover right over. Jeez. <laughs> All right, July 2012, Florida A&M President James Ammons resigned from his post following a no-confidence vote by the university's board of trustees. Uh, in all, 13 people were charged in Champion's death. Three members of the band were sentenced to 10 years supervised probation. Jesse Baskin, no relation to Carol Baskin, Another former Florida A&M band member no. was sentenced oh, to Oh, no, nearly, I thought you were saying Carol Baskin was a band member. No? You know, the way that she can hide a body, I wouldn't <laughs> doubt it. I wouldn't doubt it. She was probably a band member. Uh -huh. But uh, this band member, Jesse Baskin, was sentenced to nearly a year in jail. Caleb Jackson was sentenced to four years in prison, and Dante Martin, the accuser ringleader, was sentenced to six and a half years in prison it's crazy it's great like how they divvied out what so say one person beat the hell out of champion themselves to to his torturous death they would get life in prison with some yeah. kind of parole but they kind of like here's six for you here's 10 for you yeah. here's four for you distributed the the guilt and i think that's that's one of the hard two two problems here and one we see it happen all the time in um urban communities is with a lack of witnesses and a lack of evidence, it's really hard to convict anybody. And it's the thing that, you know, DAs will say that they pull their hair out is they want to see these communities improve. They want to see these things, you know, somebody, somebody find justice for their actions. But if you don't have people that are willing to talk. Well, I mean, you know? it's tough when every witness is a perpetrator. <laughs> Too, right? Every witness is a perpetrator and everybody's trying to be hazed. Everybody's trying to get in, right? Yeah. And you don't want to be that one. You want you don't want to be the clarinetist without a future. Especially especially when they're still <laughs> hazing people. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> this this did nothing to stop it. Oh man. Okay. Well, with all the scrutiny and the attention that this case received, the number of hazing deaths has actually risen hmm. since 2011. Uh, an exhaustive list is near impossible to come up with, but I counted 22 deaths directly attributed to hazing since Robert Champion died. Yeah. Well, yeah, man, you, you can't, I guess you can't stop it. You can't be. You got a whole thing happening with, with hazing though. Hazing is a component of many of these bands organizations like that it's also very deeply ingrained in greek societies like you know kappa 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 i felt a thigh whatever you know all those places and uh but th the problem that i see is it's deeply ingrained in so many of those uh you know frats and sororities they're bigger than the organizations themselves right all all of those have members from the same families sometimes that go back generations, you know, daddy and mommy may attribute a good helping of where they are in life today to the connections stemming from their time in a Greek organization. You know, here's the thing too, a death in a hazing only if you're truly involved in like the hazing part and what, what it actually is supposed to mean, it rises, it raises its notoriety. Like it's, yeah. it's meaning in some way. And it gives credibility to right. how intense that's what they're doing in the first place. The, the, the threat to your life, the fact that you could possibly die in a hazing is why it makes you brave enough and worthy enough in some of these things to survive it. So the fact that somebody was able, <laughs> possibly could actually die during one of these hazing is like, yeah, that's what we're talking about. That's what the yeah. risk is. That's what we're saying. That's what you're willing to, um, 
put up for grabs your own life to become a part of what you know this society that we're we're building here in this dummy little drum group that we're building called the Red Dogs. Is that what they're called? Yeah, Red Dogs. There was the clones. Those are all subgroups yeah. within the you know prestigious, very prestigious at this point. Yes. Well, okay. So all of these organizations, you know, you think about it. Uh, you know, there's people that are like, oh, I hated, I hated my time in a sorority. I didn't fit or, you know, this or that. But for the mo- for the majority of those people, like those times are just chock full of memories, right? It's underage drinking and exploring their bodies and <laughs> all the, th- but uh, the things that don't make it into the news are like all the things from a Greek organization that, that helped grease the skids for an, uh, a student's future. Yeah. Like, connection it's the connections it's it's you got uh you got a paralegal job at a huge law firm because your dad went to a fraternity with the friggin head of the law firm you know those types of things so so to your point in addition to all the positive memories and all the kind of bulletproof uh events and activities that seem to happen that are above the law within a, within these organizations, you now have foxhole friends. They, mm-hmm. these kids are never going to go to war themselves, but this is their war. They, they, they survived yeah. a hazing that was so intense that, you know, somebody died. You can say they did it. Yeah. Yeah. And so, and then you've got, then you've got parents who have survived the hazing, who have survived through that Greek organization, you know, so it's it's much more than just a bunch of kids joining uh, the United Nations. Oh, man. It was tough to get in, though, bro. Let me tell you, I almost died myself. Could you imagine, though, like if your dad or mom had been a member of your little United gang Nations? before that? Yeah. They and didn't have like, the balls. They didn't have the stones. <laughs> but that's what you have with these organizations. It's like, oh, Janice, you're going to love your time at Kappa Kappa Kappa? <laughs> I loved mine. That's where I met your father. Right. I had six Ill- illegitimate children, <laughs> and we we made our first million before he was out of college. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Here's a broomstick. Get used to it. We're going to work you in because you have no idea what's coming. There's there's just so many. You know, underage drinking is usually just at the foundation. Things quickly expand from there, and like other areas, like sexy times, right? Rowboating, annoying voices, and Wearing shoes without socks. What'd you say? Yeah. You know, all the rowing that those people tend to do in the row rowing clubs. And... Oh, yeah. Okay. I thought you were just alluding to something that I wasn't aware of. There. <laughs> oh, like in a euphemism? Yeah, for like something. Some sexual act? <laughs> Probably. Don't Google it because I'm sure there is something. Um, Anyways, that was a lot of fun. So that was a twist, huh? Like you didn't didn't see that one coming. No. No, I didn't. The way, the way that he... Uh, perished there that was terrible man i know i know it's a really serious issue in the states not so much here in canada unless you're a part of you know certain gangs <laughs> like the one i'm a part of to this day but um no i know it's a really serious issue and and uh like we kind of covered i don't think there's really any way to stop it. it 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 just makes it more and more appealing the more dangerous it is yep i don't like ever I never like to throw my hands up in the air and be like, well, that's just the way our society is. But this is definitely one of those things where it is so top heavy on support. These organizations, the, the, the generations, the family support, the, the chances and opportunities, the desperation for parents to see that their kids get chances and opportunities because of these organizations. It's all fueled by what you're saying, the drama of, of passing through of crossing over we won't see an end to this type of tradition we just won't until ah, i was just about to say until parents start being held accountable for their support of the organizations but then you're talking money and you're talking lawyers and no parents ever going to be held accountable so i just do throw my hands up in the air and say Oh man, but terrifying to think like say my own son going into one of those uh frats or whatever and knowing part of me be like go for it you know like you gotta like you gotta be tough like you gotta you know show that show that you could be a part of it and you got the balls and all that kind of thing but then you never know whether or not there's gonna be some psychopath running over the seats and jumping on my child's chest as he's out of breath from 
taking a beating three quarters of the way through. I mean, that's that's not right, man. No. I think I, I, I try to assess the trade-offs to not being in an organization like that and going through that versus being in one. And in so many cases, right. it's not like there is a 44-year-old woman sitting somewhere in a house going, well, without that clarinet, you know, I never would have been the professional clarinetist I am today. Does, you know, right. come on. I mean, th- th- those activities. Uh, it's dumb. It's so there, stupid. There could be other things, but then I know there's probably people that are listening that are 100% pro-Greek. And there are a lot of powerful things that can happen, powerful and positive things that can come in, in somebody's life because of those organizations. But I, I don't know. I think you're looking at it going kind of to what end. Like, yeah, it's hard. It's hard. It's, the world is divided. <laughs> I think there's a lot more people that are like not the Greek <laughs> minded people that you're talking about. Well, yeah, all the minions, all the lower classes, <laughs> but all but so many of your upper class, uh, your 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 people that are, you know, I would say in the one percent, you know, those people, those yes. those people all have Greek backgrounds right. most of them for you sure know, it's kind of sure. i just like how thing. you were pandering for a second to th- those yeah. people who might be listening yeah there's like none of them the... i think for the most part the audience <laughs> listening right now is like Shh, this is just not Shut right down. you guys are trying <laughs> yeah. to justify this right yeah no you're right yeah the majority of our listeners probably not uh you know passing crossing over too often <laughs> they're, they're finding new ways to do that in their own life with new vices now that they're in their 30s yeah, 40s yeah. 50s <laughs> i feel like you might be a red dog because you totally lost your accent for a little while there when you were seriously I, talking about this uh yeah it's you know it's just yeah, my it's the amount of time i'm spending in the americas uh that yeah. i attribute to losing it every once in a while when i get hot and heavy on an issue <laughs> that you really care about like hazing. Really, like, like hazing or mommy bloggers. I will lose it. Yep. It's true. It's just, you know, kind of the way I'm wired. But anyway, hey, how about a happy ending? Sure. Okay, I've got one. Um, okay, so I just want to pre- ah, I just want to preface it with this with this isn't funny. This isn't heartwarming. Heart what we just talked about? No, no, no. What's coming up? What's coming up? Okay. Um, but I Googled a YouTube. I Googled on YouTube. I searched on YouTube sure. for sorority 911 call. And this one came up and every fiber in my being is like, don't play that call. Don't, don't play. Don't play it. But You're going I to. have to. <laughs> Here. You ready for this? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, here we go. My father, James Nelson, Port Authority police officer. She's the daughter of a hero who lost his life on 9-11. Caitlin Nelson was just five when her father, James, perished, saving lives on the 27th floor of the South Tower. As a still grieving little girl, Caitlin appeared in a news story about her father. He saved a lot of lives. And in 2012, at the annual memorial ceremony at Ground Zero in New York City, a now grown-up Caitlin held a photo of herself and her beloved dad as she read victims' names. Daddy, Mommy, Annie, and I love you and miss you every day. Butterfly kisses always. The street Caitlin lived on with her widowed mom and sister was renamed James Nelson Way in her dad's honor. Now the family is enduring more heartache. Caitlin has died in a freak accident, eating too many pancakes. It happened here at Sacred Heart University in Fairfield, Connecticut, where Caitlin was on a scholarship for children of 9-11. Caitlin was taking part in a pancake-eating competition representing her sorority, Kappa Delta, at a fundraising event. She had wolfed down four, maybe five pancakes when suddenly things went terribly wrong. She started choking. Someone's choking, please, hurry. You can hear the chaos as her fellow students call 911. Where are they now? She's on the floor. Can anyone please help and do the Heimlich? I can give you the instructions. Does anybody know how to do the Heimlich there? Was she showing any signs of life? No signs of life. She was still unconscious completely. I spoke to Sergeant Mike Paris, who battled to save Caitlin. We're doing CPR. We're trying to clear the airway. 
her mouth was compacted with pancakes, you know, almost oh, to her teeth. Oh, my God, dude. And I was um, pulling, my bare hands, pulling the pancakes out of her mouth. Caitlin was rushed to a local hospital. She died two days later. Well, CPR expert Troy Allen. Not chewing your food thoroughly puts big chunks down the throat, and big chunks run the risk of getting lodged in what is a, you know, narrow passageway. More heartbreak for a family who have already suffered so much. Butterfly kisses, always. Okay. Oh, my God. Man. I don't... You can see what I mean now, right? Cause what? Because like, it's happy because it makes you laugh so much, but it's so I, horrible. I, well, it's like, in my opinion, that's like a miscarriage of journalism. Because there's nobody that is going to listen to that story And with not laugh, like, so hard and feel like they're going to hell? Yeah, and they so they couple this, like, father who died in 9-11... Mm-hmm. With his daughter who died in a pancake eating contest. I couldn't stop laughing. <laughs> but like, <laughs> like it's so bad. The guy's description, the, the responding individual who's like, I was Come pulling on. handfuls of pancake out of her mouth. Like pushed up to her teeth or something he said. <laughs> <laughs> You're crying laughing. I don't want to This is terrible. Laughing. This is horrible. But I listen to it and I'm like, that is the weirdest contrast. Listen, man. Who wrote this story? Dude, it's just. You know how bad that screwed me up? I'm sitting here smoking a cigarette, drinking a beer, and I have a bottle. I have a, a beer bottle that I'm putting my cigarette ashes and cigarettes into. And uh-huh. I'm listening and I'm laughing. I'm laughing so hard. I'm not thinking that I grabbed the bottle and took a drink out of it. <laughs> Gross. It was very. <laughs> Anyways, you know, butterfly kisses. <laughs> butterfly kisses forever. Like, just the way they constructed that story, it just seemed like wrong. Like, yeah, no, like it was meant to be. Yeah. You like, can't, you can't pull a 911 kind of emotion. No. 911 emotion out of people when you say that his daughter, who's daughter. part of some dumb sorority, choked packing too many pancakes in her mouth it just doesn't no it doesn't line oh my up God. i think we might lose the podcast here when this might be it oh my goodness oh, my did we eyes just die sweating. did the podcast just end like no you know thing? what i think we i think we gained a whole legion of followers that are like i agree 100 <laughs> percent. that should never those two stories do not go together no i i absolutely agree but i hope everyone else kind of like guiltily <sighs> was couldn't help themselves but start laughing during that. I've never had something so horrible being said into my ears and then my body reacting Just in a way where... to laugh. I, I don't I know. Your, if you put yourself at that pancake competition, you think about the severe amount of like peer pressure she must have been feeling <laughs> to be shoving pancakes in her mouth at a pace that she couldn't keep up with that. Makes me wonder if maybe it wasn't a pancake contest at all. Maybe it was hazing by pancake. (laughs) Oh, dude. Like the fact (sighs) that, wait a minute. So the girl on the, like was talking like butterfly kisses and all that stuff. Yeah. Her dad died. Now she's the one who overstuffed herself with pancakes. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So they're trying to like couple this like previous terrible event. No, I get it. By this circus show death my head hurts but just like the whole i just can't i couldn't the the reporting was just so funny man just so so can't so like disingenuous vapid is what i would call that just like oh here's an emotional story oh here's another one let's put these two together you know and then they just do the like normal reporting structure you know can we hear it again can we for the first sure. time like just please please give me yes. another chance of this give everybody okay. another chance of this all right here we go tell me this is not funny I, i'm not gonna i'm not gonna, this is not funny yeah and tell me this isn't a miscarriage of journalism right here let's okay, do it again here we go here we go my father james nelson port authority police officer she's the daughter of a hero who lost his life on 9 11 Caitlin Nelson was just five when her father James perished, saving lives on the 27th floor of the South Tower. 
As a still-grieving little girl, Caitlin appeared in a news story about her father. He saved a lot of lives. And in 2012, at the annual memorial ceremony at Ground Zero in New York City, a now-grown-up Caitlin held a photo of herself and her beloved dad as she read victims' names. Daddy, Mommy, Annie, and I love you and miss you every day. Butterfly kisses always. The street Caitlin lived on with her widowed mom and sister was renamed James Nelson Way in her dad's honor. Now the family is enduring more heartache. Caitlin has died in a freak accident, eating too many pancakes. It happened here at Sacred Heart University in Fairfield, Connecticut, where Caitlin was on a scholarship for children of 9-11. Caitlin was taking part in a pancake-eating competition representing her sorority, Kappa Delta, at a fundraising event. She had wolfed down four, maybe five pancakes, when suddenly things went terribly wrong. She started choking. Someone's choking, please, hurry. You can hear the chaos as her fellow students call 911. Where are they now? She's on the floor. Can anyone please help and do the Heimlich? I can give you the instructions. Does anybody know how to do the Heimlich there? Was she showing any signs of life? No signs of life. She was still unconscious completely. I spoke to Sergeant Mike Paris, who battled to save Caitlin. We're doing CPR. We're trying to clear the airway. Her mouth was compacted with pancakes, you know, almost to to her teeth. And I was um, pulling, my bare hands, pulling the pancakes out of her mouth. Caitlin was rushed to a local hospital. She died two days later. CPR expert Troy Allen. Not chewing your food thoroughly puts big chunks down the throat. and Big chunks run the risk of getting lodged in what is a you know, narrow passageway. More heartbreak for a family who have already suffered so much. Butterfly kisses always. That they end with that. I know. That they end with the <sighs> butterfly kisses thing. Just... They're, both stories deserve attention, right? Both right. stories, but they don't deserve the same spotlight. It, that's oh. what bothers me is like the, the emotion of one. You're doing a disservice to the other. Pick one. It doesn't matter, but you're doing a disservice to it by pairing it with it, the they, other. Man, they were really playing with us there. Because like when when the reporter goes wolfed down, yeah. pancakes, like that, something about that makes me laugh. And then you play the guy like, hey, let this be a lesson. Don't, you know, compact your esophagus Don't. with a whole bunch of pancakes. Like, man. Unbelievable. Also, okay, this. So sh- they're at a fundraiser, right? Apparently. Right. They're at a fundraiser. So there's a lot of people there. They have a, they call 911. The guy that you heard on the phone call is their responding medical professional. Mm-hmm. How many people there on site before they, they, they arrived could have dug some pancake out of her mouth or <laughs> done the Heimlich? you start making me laugh about this, too. I'm just saying, like, there are so many things. They, somebody could have been like, oh, man, her face is full of pancakes. And they just start digging it out, Heimlich her, you know, and they help the situation. But they all just kind of sat around while she was just, like, huh. full of pancakes stuffed to the teeth with pancakes Seriously, yeah man like nobody I, just oh man i don't know buddy. this could have been avoided i think is what the you know oh i feel like we could have avoided this whole happy ending for sure but i i understand uh, why you played it now i really do understand why. it's ridiculous yeah it's like a runaway train you just can't stop but watch it i mean You're i feel happy because i laughed a lot but i also feel like really upset yeah because me too she she died and her dad yeah. died in 9-11. All, those are all the ingredients for not funny? Not funny at all. But at the same time, like, there were a legion of people around her. I would even go as far as to say if this is a fundraiser, you don't have just kids there. You've got people with money. Maybe you've got doctors there. Maybe you've got doctors at this freaking fundraiser. Right. And we have to wait till the ambulance gets there to start unpacking her head full of pancakes. <laughs> See, stop pancakes. doing that. You're making me laugh, man. There's Just something saying. so funny. I blame uh, about the, I pancakes. Blame, I blame other people for this. This is terrible. Oh, can we just and, go? But bottom line, bottom line, you know what? We should have never heard no, this I don't because know. it should have never been reported. <sighs> so. Exactly. Can All we, right. Can we well, go? That's all I've got. Yeah. So I guess until next time. Hey, guess what? By the way, this was episode 55. Cool. Cool. (laughs) 
All right. Well, I guess uh, on that, in that massive amount of fanfare, uh, hugs, everybody. Hey, uh, my name's Kate and I'm from uh, the New Jersey area. And um, I just wanted to call and say that I love your guys' show. Um, I love your guys' banter and like, the, the jokes and the accents are probably one of my favorite things about the banter in particular. Um, but I just, I love the subject matter that you guys cover. Speaking from myself, I'm a mental health professional uh, working with um, adults with psychiatric and addiction issues. And so um, I find the show to be very enlightening, um, but also providing some comic uh, relief to say, to say the least. So thank you guys for everything that you do. And uh Keep on making these episodes because you've got a really big fan base over here with me and a few of my true crime friends. Thanks again. Bye. Well, thank you very much, Caden, for the voicemail. That's very sweet of you. You can also leave us a voicemail at 1159media.com on our contact page if you want. You can also find us on Facebook. We've got a bunch of groups and pages and stuff like that. And if you really like this episode and what you hear here, you can support us over on Patreon and get hundreds of more exclusive episodes of stuff. So, hope to see you around somewhere. So much hugs to you. <laughs> <laughs>